You're listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. Well, you know these guys? I sure do. They know you. Much respected. Tremendous. They are rootsy. Yep. They are... They got it going on. They, yeah. That's, they're happening. That's, that's what they're happening. They work hard, they play hard. They, they play hard, they work hard. They look good, they feel they, good. That, yeah, it could have said the same Pretty thing. much all you need. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Hey everybody, it's The Wrestling Life. Boys, it is the summer of 2017 and the summer is just flying by. I'm Ethan. And I am definitely in the summer right now, Liam. And uh, with Money in the Bank uh, having just passed, we are going to take a little right turn this week and rather than uh, talk the Money in the Bank ladder match this year, but boy, what a match that was, Liam. Yep, and I would just like to say congratulations, winner. Uh, we're going to take a little right turn here and talk about the history of Money in the Bank and talk about uh, various winners over the years and the original concept for the match and kind of what that has evolved into and uh, kind of maybe go year by year here and uh, we can talk hits and misses and we'll we'll just talk we'll talk Money in the Bank ladder matches. Um, so uh, the. Uh, the debut Money in the Bank ladder match was at WrestleMania 21, which up until the unpleasantness of Hulk Hogan uh, being outed as a racist uh, was one of my very favorite WrestleManias. <laughs> and probably from a match quality standpoint, uh, probably holds up. I have not gone back and watched this match since Benoit. So it's mm-hmm. been uh, it's been a decade now since I've seen it. Um, but uh, Edge won the first uh, Money in the Bank ladder match, and ultimately uh, was vaulted to stardom based on that. Uh, what did you think of uh, the first Money in the Bank match, Liam, if you've seen it? And uh, what did you think of uh, Edge actually being made a star coming off of it? Yeah, it uh, it was originally it was kind of supposed to be the rule. Uh, I did see this match. I didn't see it as it happened. I did watch it uh, a few years ago, I think, on, somebody, on somebody's DVD set. It might have been Edge's DVD set. I don't really remember. But uh, I have seen it. Uh, really good match. I mean, that was really that was the Shelton Benjamin show, uh, as as a lot of these Money in the Bank matches, the early ones were. Um, he kind of got the there's the spot that they replayed a whole bunch of him run them kind of leaning the one ladder against the other one. I think it's Jericho's on the ladder, and him running up the first ladder and jumping up and hitting like a big clothesline or something on Jericho. Um, and it, uh, yeah, an edge winning and then kind of actually being made a star. Uh, like I said, that was kind of, that was originally the idea was that was kind of the rule. That was the idea of the money in the bank match. It seemed at, at the start. Uh, we can, as we get into the later years, we'll obviously they got away from that, but yeah, I mean, it, and it turned out edge was absolutely, I mean, and you can talk about when he, when he finally cashed in and won the title, uh, he was, supposed to just, you know, win it for a couple of weeks to kind of establish what the money in the bank, how the cashing in of the money in the bank match worked and then just drop it right back to Cena. And he, you know, <laughs> they both go on their ways, but you know, ratings went up legitimately with him as champion. People gravitated to seeing a guy like that elevated to a new level. And, uh, you know, edge, 
you know, Edge is kind of a weird thing because he was in an era with guys like, you know, he started out, he was a tag team guy when Rock and Austin were on top. And then when he finally got to be a singles guy, he was in the, he was in the mix with Cena and Batista and Jericho and all of these all time, you know, guys who probably will, if they aren't already, will be all time greats one day. Um, but Edge just put together a heck of a career, and you can say that his main event run really did legitimately start uh, coming out of this Money in the Bank match. So it was definitely a good a good start for them. And to me, the, the 2006 winner, Rob Van Dam, who won uh, Money in the Bank at the WrestleMania in Chicago, uh, the one uh, this I guess is the second WrestleMania that was in well. Technically, WrestleMania 2 was the third there. So the third WrestleMania that was in Chicago. But <laughs> um, uh, Van Dam took uh, the second Money in the Bank ladder match. And Rob Van Dam had kind of already been pushed to the main events back in, in 2002, 2003, and then squashed by Triple H. And this is kind of his reascension. In 2006... Uh, dovetailing with with Edge's win in 2005, Edge became a main eventer in January 2006 um, when he cashed in. And uh, the some of the, I think I love 2006 as a creative year for WWE. Um, they had they relaunched the ECW brand, which ultimately was ill fated, but it made for it made for for a really interesting talent roster in 2006. And the main event uh, scene with Van Dam uh, winning and then eventually cashing in and winning the title against Cena, and then Cena and Edge and Van Dam kind of trading the championship all summer. Van Dam getting busted for uh, drugs, <laughs> uh, wild no. WWE, wild WWE champion, uh, kind of threw a wrench into the whole thing. But between with Van Dam kind of being elevated, the ECW, um relaunch edge's emergence and his rivalry with john cena who is really just kind of getting established here um i really liked 2006 uh, what'd you think of uh, van damme and uh, do you have any thoughts on on kind of that 2006 period there yeah i mean i think you kind of you you said it a lot better than i think i could um but uh yeah it was it was fun again it felt fresh that one night stand show uh is great um, so, you know, being capped off with, with RVD winning the title. And again, something new, something fresh, even though, as you mentioned, that RVD had kind of had his cup of coffee in the main event scene. He was not, he was not christened worthy of, uh, of being, you know, being the, the top or one of, you know, one of the really top guys uh, back in 02. And he never really got there. And part, part of that is because of his drug suspension. Um, so part of some of his wounds, as far as being a main eventer, were definitely self-inflicted. But uh, yeah, that was again. It was just it was fun. It felt a little more like a little more anything can happen, but not but in more of a good way. I mean, you can watch a lot of those Attitude Era shows, and it's just like yeah, anything can happen because like everyone on everyone involved in creative that time was out of their freaking minds. Like in 2006, it felt like it felt, you know, everything felt kind of fresh and, and, and different. And you had the, the DX reunion going on at the time, the, you know, the first time Sean and Hunter got back together and uh, feuded with the McMahons. 
you had John Cena establishing himself. And right, like you said, you kind of had Edge piggybacking off his success from cashing in Money in the Bank, along with RVD cashing in his Money in the Bank for 2006. It really made for a, for a unique and uh, one of the more, I think one of the fresher years. I think that year as a whole, if you just go back on the network right now and look at some of the pay-per-view lineups, uh, going up and down that year of shows, maybe don't watch December to dismember, but uh, the other, you know, a lot of those shows are really kind of unique and and pretty fun, I think. So yeah, good good times for WWE, and uh, again, always good to see a guy like. I mean, if, it kind of depends on, I guess, maybe if you're not a fan of Rob Van Dam for some reason, but uh, again, a newish guy, a guy who had never gotten to that level really for any sustained amount of time, getting getting the top title is is always pretty cool to see. There's a, there's a John Cena Sabu pay-per-view match from that year that I love for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're at two for two here in Money in the Bank matches, uh, kind of creating new main eventers. And like you said, that's the original concept of the match. And I remember when I heard about uh, the, this match, uh, the concept being developed back in 2005, I thought, you know what? That is brilliant because they're going to be forced to make a new main eventer every year. And it's like their their biggest problem at the time was, well, everything's kind of stagnant. It's like, well, this is brilliant. They'll have a new main eventer every year. That's awesome. And eventually, later on, they kind of lose their way, as you mentioned. But um, 2007, Mr. Kennedy won the Money in the Bank match and kind of the story of his WWE career. Uh, he got hurt uh, 36 days later. And they took the briefcase off of him because they thought he'd be out for like nine months. He ended up being back much quicker, but Edge beat him <laughs> for his money yeah. bank contract on an episode of Raw. So they their thought was to go with Kennedy, and ultimately it was probably a good thing that they didn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, Edge instead kind of gets the rub here and get goes to SmackDown and kind of becomes that the you know, the cornerstone of SmackDown for the next four or five years. Yeah, that was uh, obviously a really odd, odd thing. In some ways you feel bad for Kennedy, although he's kind of had a history of either through injury or through other, uh, you know, steroid suspensions and stuff like that, kind of writing himself out of his big chance. Obviously there's the story of him was, he was probably going to be, Mr. McMahon's son at one point in that uh, lovely storyline. Um, and was uh, eventually that was changed and kind of the same thing here with money in the bank, unfortunately due to an injury. I mean, there is a guy, I mean, it's really easy to look at him in TNA or to look at him, you know, now and just see like, Oh, like how could anyone ever think this guy was a star or whatever, but dude. And we see it, we see it today with Enzo Amore and uh, like, there is nothing quite like a sing-along act in WWE when it gets really over. And his Mr. Kennedy Kennedy stuff got real over for a while. So, I mean, he looked like he was going to be the next big thing for a little bit. I mean, like I said, it's really easy now to go like, yeah, he wasn't the guy. He wouldn't have lasted all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a fun kind of what if scenario, I think. Um, And obviously it, in the end, while it didn't make Kennedy a new star, it got Edge kind of out of that top mix on Raw, where he was kind of he had kind of been relegated more into like a tag team role with with Randy Orton, and it didn't really seem like he was going to be 
getting a lot of opportunities because Cena was the champion for, you know, for the rest of that year. And they were, uh, it didn't see, they'd already kind of done the big blow off to edge and Cena's feud. So it didn't seem like he was going to have a ton of opportunities to be a top guy on raw. So you moved him over to SmackDown. And as you mentioned, he became kind of, you know, at before the end of the, of the first brand split, he really became like the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the top guy, the cornerstone, the flag bearer, whatever you want to say, um, of that brand for, for, for the next few years. So, uh, probably not what they intended, obviously with Kennedy losing it, but it did help kind of solidify SmackDown a little bit. So I guess you can find a silver lining in that cloud if you want to. CM Punk won the next two money in the bank contracts and, uh, they gave him the first one, and then they kind of screwed up his push, and he lost the title without losing it in the ring. And uh, they kind of screwed it up so bad that they had to go back and, and do it again the next year, uh, but still kind of in the new building new stars, creating new stars uh, mindset there with uh, with CM Punk. Uh, any thoughts on Punk's uh, dual runs with the briefcase? Well, I think something interesting to mention, and I think it's been pretty much confirmed on WWE-produced DVDs, the first one in 2008, that was Jeff Hardy's match to win. He was, like, he was the guy who was going to win, and then he got suspended. Um, and so they, were, they put it on Punk. Um, so that's, again, a little bit of what if there. Uh, if Jeff Hardy could have had a more sustained main event run in WWE. Um, of course, there's always the problem of him being Jeff Hardy, kind of got in the way of, of them ever pushing him too hard. But uh, that's kind of a, a fun little what-if aside there. Um, but, yeah, Punk, it was kind of one of the things – that was kind of the beginning of where, yeah, they put him – they put, put the title on him, but then he wasn't really – they didn't put him in the mix. They kind of kept him separate from, like, the real main eventers. You know, Cena and Batista, he feuded with guys like JBL and Kane – uh, on on the first year, um, and then thankfully, probably for him, he got moved to SmackDown in uh, in 2009 when he won it, and was kind of able to be kind of the kind of mix it up more with guys like Jeff Hardy and and uh, Edge, Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho, all those guys, uh, and it ended up leading to really Punk's first big chance to shine in WWE. At least, I mean, he'd been ECW champion, he'd been a, a pretty decent kind of mid card guy. But uh, when they when they turned him heel and when he cashed in on Jeff Hardy, it was like instant heel turn. Even though he was still technically a babyface at the time, um, and that's like I think that's also something like you're not going to see that anymore. Like that type of visceral crowd reaction. Like people wanted Jeff Hardy to be the world champion, and when this mother effer CM Punk came out and stole it from him. Like I don't care if you're a babyface or not. I hate you now because you stole that belt from my guy. And I think that, and it created, you know, obviously going into the, the straight edge society character of CM Punk eventually when they brought in Luke Gallows and stuff like that. But yeah, it took them, it took them doing it twice, but they did eventually uh, and turning and turning CM Punk heel. So it took them two years and a heel turn, but they did finally kind of make Punk into a big deal on SmackDown, at least for a little while. Um, I thought they kind of cut that run short too quickly. They just had him drop the title to the Undertaker relatively quickly, and then he was kind of back down into the the upper mid card. But um, 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I love, I love, I mean, I'm a huge CM Punk fan. I always will be. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun in there. And like, like you said, it took a while, but uh, yeah, I'm, I love, I love that year. I love, I love, especially that the 2009 was Punk on SmackDown. I thought was great. 2010, three Money in the Bank winners. Jack Swagger wins the last uh, WrestleMania Money in the Bank match. Uh, he cashed in a couple of days later, uh, kind of the first instance here of them uh, pushing, a, a trying to make a new main eventer and just out and out failing. Um, some of that's because Swagger was pretty much a jobber, and then all of a sudden he's wearing a suit and uh, beating Chris Jericho. <laughs> Luckily, and, there's no there's no kind of analogy for 2017 wrestling we can make here. Sure, yeah, a lot of parallels there between Swagger and Mahal. Um, but uh, that's kind of the first the first instance of of not making a new main eventer there, and then the concept changes. You know, they go into a you know, uh, well, I guess they the brand split. Um, they had uh, two Money in the Bank matches at the Money in the Bank pay per view. And they went with Kane and the Miz. Kane cashed in the same night. Uh, and um, is that the day the music died for you? Oh my lord! Like I knew it was coming, and it's like, and then Kane Kane got a run, which was like, oh, <laughs> uh, I didn't. I don't quite have the same visceral reaction. Uh, didn't have quite the same visceral reaction at the time uh, that I do now. But I guess I, I must want to talk about the Miz coming out of this. The Miz. Um, kind of the end of that year, cashed in on Randy Orton and won the title. And um, Miz kind of, I, I liked that first, it was Miz's real first series run as a main eventer. And to me, it's the first time Miz showed, okay, he's not, he's not exactly Luthez or Ric Flair, but he can hang with the main eventers in ring. Uh, what, do you have any thoughts on uh, either failing to make Jack Swagger a main eventer or kind of establishing the Miz for that first run as, as a main on top. Yeah. I mean, I think swagger showed that you can't just put a belt or put, you can't just put the belt on a guy and instantly make him credible. Um, and maybe that's, you could say that's an indictment of how they've booked world titles for so long. Uh, maybe you should, maybe, you know, if he's the world champion, he should be, you know, it should instantly make him credible but that just wasn't the case with Swagger where Miz, I felt, I felt like his ascension came so much, you know, they built that up over the year. I think in, it was probably late Oh nine. He won the U S title and held that for the better part of like, like he held it for like over a year. He ended up dropping it to Daniel Bryan, I think in uh, September of 2010 after he'd already won money in the bank. But yeah, it was like a serious run. They gave him a lot of time on the mic uh, to develop his character and they sort of slowly gradually built it up and he felt like an example of like we just made a new guy like we saw a new guy made uh, he came up from uh, you know he went the night he cashed in it was still in the in the crux of the John Cena Nexus Randy Orton feud it was long after they'd already botched the Nexus but Nexus was still pretty over and Randy Orton beats Wade Barrett to retain his title. And it's this big happy ending, you think. And then Miz's music hits. He comes out, he wins the belt. The, of course the famous angry Miz girl was, uh, was found. Um, and it felt like for a moment here, 
Like, and Miz threw this incredible celebration when he won. And uh, it just felt like such an important moment. It felt that was to me, Miz winning the WWE championship and throwing such a great celebration, you know, after Orton had worked really hard and fended off Nexus to retain this belt, he worked so hard to keep it. And then this guy, the Miz comes in and takes it from him. And it felt like everybody wants this title and a new guy has it now. And he's, you know, he's been built up well. And to me, that was like such a, that was a really cool moment. And like one of the most important, the most important that a world title has felt in WWE in a really long time. Um, unfortunately, then almost as soon as Miz got the title, they started beating him like a drum. Um, and he kind of did some some stuff with Orton, and I don't think he ever got to beat Orton clean. And then he got his title match with Jerry Lawler on actual pay-per-view. This is pre-network era, folks. Uh, Miz wrestled Jerry Lawler on pay-per-view. And then, you know, he got to, he technically did, I guess, retain at WrestleMania that year against Cena. But, of course, that's the year The Rock came back, and that match was all just to set up John Cena versus The Rock at the next year's WrestleMania. And then they kind of quietly Miz loses the title the next uh, the next month to Cena, and really Miz has never been the same. Uh, and it felt like they just beat him and beat him down. Like they let him get to that level, and then it was like whack them all. They just took a big hammer and just beat him down and beat him down uh, for years. And he finally seemed to get that swagger back a little bit on uh, on SmackDown last year, but. Yeah, to me, that was an example of they made they picked a guy, they made him a star, they made him the champion, and then they just suddenly decided, meh, he's not the right guy, and they just did everything they could to kill him. So, uh, weird, kind of a weird one, because yes, it was they made a new star, which is what the whole point of the match is, but they couldn't keep him a star. That's uh, which I think is more of an indictment on the company than on the Miz. 2011, Daniel Bryan and Alberto Del Rio were the winners. Del Rio um, won and then kind of got lost in the shuffle of like some <laughs> some weird storyline stuff there. And Daniel Bryan, and uh, we were there uh, in attendance live when he eventually cashed in. And he was not really treated um, as a main eventer at the time. Just kind of a, a couple weird ones in 2011 with Bryan and Del Rio. Yeah, Del Rio's a really fascinating story, and maybe we've talked about that in the past during one of the times he got fired. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just like it seemed like every, when he came into WWE, everyone was like, okay, this is the guy that's going to be a top guy for the next five years, maybe the next 10 years. And they, you know, he won the Royal Rumble, and then he lost to Edge. And then they gave him money in the bank, and he eventually does. He beats Punk for it after Kevin effing Nash gets involved at SummerSlam, and uh, then he just lost the title right away to Cena, and then he won it back and then lost it again to Punk. And yeah, it's a very weird year for Del Rio. Um, yeah, with Brian, I mean the whole the whole gimmick around uh, around that was that he was you know the undeserving champion. Um. But of course, their idea was that it was going to be the, you know, it was the idea was to then use him to have, you know, have Sheamus have his, you know, SummerSlam 88 ultimate warrior moment where he comes out and crushes the guy who doesn't really deserve to be the champion. And there's your next big star. But of course, you know, things didn't work out. So 
funny, funny enough, Daniel Bryan, we've talked about that on numerous shows, but it really is worth mentioning. It's like his whole, the whole point of his character was like, he's a guy who doesn't deserve to be in that, in that top spot. That was, you know, the storyline on television. He has, he's the undeserving world champion, but you know what, uh, you know, but <laughs> In spite of their booking, in spite of their storylines, he got over bigger than anybody else has in the last uh, decade or so, at least since John Cena and Batista. So, yeah, Brian, Brian, definitely a weird year for Money in the Bank in 2011. 2012, you had Dolph Ziggler and John Cena. Now, Cena winning was really just storyline to set up uh, or to continued to play into his feud with The Rock, which CM Punk shoehorned his way into by talking and complaining. Uh, so that was really <laughs> just just, just storyline for like the Raw the Raw 1000 that year. Cena winning was just uh, another story device. And what really is financially the most successful, I would like to see the uh, inflation-adjusted numbers, uh, but one of the more f- uh, financially successful programs in the history of wrestling was John Cena against The Rock. So, um, but as again here, clear departure from making new main eventers. 2012, Ziggler won the other one, and Ziggler would go on to cash in against Del Rio and then get concussed. And it's really never been the same for Dolph uh, <laughs> since, <laughs> since his cash. I guess it was 2013 when he when he went to cash in. Um, but um, I, we you met you hit on the Cena and the Rock earlier, and we've covered that kind of ad nauseum over the years. But what do you think about? The, was this a legitimate attempt to make Dolph a main eventer? And uh, what are your thoughts on, on why it failed? I mean, that that year, and I this is one of those matches, I have almost no memory of it. Like, I kind of remember who was in the match because, like, in the, in the SmackDown match, it was, like, Santino was in it and Christian and I think Tensai and Tyson Kidd were in it. Yeah. Like, it was Sinkara. just a bunch... Sinkara yeah, got Sinkara. hurt. Uh, oh, original Sinkara getting hurt or hurting someone? That never happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then Dolph, and it really seemed like Dolph, I guess Cody Rhodes was in it, I believe. So everyone going in knew, it was okay, it's either Dolph or Cody. And they had kind of, I think that summer, they had, uh, they had done some Dolph and Sheamus matches for the world title. Um, and Sheamus had just beaten them clean. Um so it didn't. So it kind of felt like, well, they already kind of teased Dolph being a main eventer on SmackDown, and he just kind of lost. So maybe it'll be Cody Rhodes. Um, and that Cody Rhodes, that was when Cody like put on like thirty pounds of muscle and Over started. <laughs> yes, very quickly, and just just coming off feuding with like Booker T, and he'd been Intercontinental Champion for a long time. Um, ended up losing that title to Christian, I think. Um, but it seemed like the only two plausible guys that were actually going to win in that match were uh, were Cody or, or Dolph. And they went with Dolph. And he was really over at the time. As, you know, as, at least if you use crowd reaction as your barometer, he was, you know, he was getting big reactions every night. Uh, they put him with AJ Lee eventually. They put him with Big E towards the end of that year. Uh, they kind of gave him the, the entourage... And, uh, but they also beat him like a drum. Like, even after he won Money in the Bank, uh, he just, I mean, he, they still, they still booked him like they've always booked Dolph Ziggler. Um, and then, yeah, he did, he did win the title and it was a big moment. It was one of those, those first, uh, 
seemingly like really special, big, uh, raw after mania moments. You know, now every year we kind of get one or two big returns or big moments or a title change or whatever. But it seemed like, uh, you know, we didn't back then we didn't necessarily get them as often. Uh, so it seemed like it was a really cool, that's a really cool moment. And as much as I will always hate Dolph Ziggler and it's real and it'll never end. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to take away. That was an awesome moment on that raw when he won the title, but yeah, I mean, he got hurt and it felt like that was just an excuse for them to go. Well, yeah, see, we tried with this kid and he just, just can't, can't handle it. Couldn't, couldn't he gave him the ball. He just dropped it. Can't, you know, we can't keep trying to push this kid. So, you know, feel feel bad that he didn't really get ever get a legitimate chance, but I don't really have any reason to believe that they would have really given him a chance, even if he hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think, and, and this kind of fits with 2013, one of 2013's winners also. We're kind of into an era here as we recap now where Vince McMahon, whatever personality thing that he developed where he uh, changed his, started changing his mind all the time. And like maybe he, he used to all the time uh, before this and we just didn't know about it or he didn't have the ability to change plans on a dime. Like, you know, stuff like advertising uh, for pay-per-views and posters and all that kind of stuff would need to be in months in advance. Uh, and so maybe it wasn't, wasn't as easy to change plans, say, back in the 80s. But it seems like they really started, you know, they would pick a guy and they would start souring on him uh, it, kind of in this era here. And you mentioned it was Ziggler. And then the next year, Randy Orton won one of the Money in the Bank briefcases. I have no memory of that whatsoever. And that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Damian Sandow, who won the other one. And he became oh my god he became the uh, the first money in the bank winner to cleanly lose. Uh, Cena was the first to actually cash in and lose the year before, but Sandow just cashed in and lost in a match to John Cena. And I have memory of that match. And it's like Cena, I think, tried to do his part uh, to make Sandow look good. And I always thought Sandow was pretty good in the ring. Um, and he definitely was able to hang with Cena. So I don't think you can blame Cena um, for burying Sandow there. It's like they put the, they gave Sandow the briefcase and then they just changed their mind like three months later. Um, what do you think about Damian Sandow's kind of aborted uh, run there and his aborted main event push? That was a really weird, weird time. Um, you had, you know, they were, they, kind of during that match they broke up him and Cody Rhodes had been a tag team it was the Cody Rhodes mustache uh, which was like a thousand times worse than Stardust I don't care what anybody says Cody Rhodes baby face Cody Rhodes with his stupid mustache was way worse um, but anyway uh, Sandow yeah he was a really good talker they put him in the ring with DX and uh, on the on the thousandth raw and you know, he had some fun catchphrases and stuff, and it seemed like, okay, this guy could be, he could be, and of course, this is in the era where there wasn't really a brand split anymore, but they still had two world champions. And so I'm like, yeah, he could be the, you know, the world heavyweight champion. Yeah, why not? It's a, you know, it's a newer guy. He's, you know, he, he's a good talker. He's a good rest. He's a good enough wrestler. Yeah, he could be on that show. Um, but yeah, that, that is probably, as you said, maybe the, the most obvious example of them just, he didn't even get the belt before they changed their mind. Uh, they changed their mind and just decided, 
And they didn't do what they did with Kennedy. You know, they didn't just take, have him lose the belt to somebody or lose the briefcase to somebody else. Uh, he just lost, you know, he just lost, he cashed in and lost. So that just seems like a big wasted, uh, you know, wasted opportunity. If, if you decide he's not the guy, at least give it, give the brief, you know, have him lose the briefcase to somebody that you think is the guy. Like that just seems like a no brainer to me, but uh, obviously they didn't feel that way. 2014, we're back to making main eventers. And I know, I mean, Triple H has had a lot of influence for the last 20 years uh, in his, you know, into WWE booking. But I think you kind of really see it here in 2014 when they pick the guy, they pick Seth Rollins, and he's kind of, um, a, you know, obviously an established guy in Ring of Honor long before he got to WWE, but a a Florida championship wrestling slash NXT guy that comes up and is protected as a member of the shield and then goes on to win money in the bank and then goes on to cash in um, at WrestleMania uh, and gets got picked handpicked even over Roman Reigns, the other chosen, chosen, chosen one of, of the time. And uh, I think we're back to kind of a successful uh, implementation of the money in the bank idea in 2014 uh, with Seth Rollins. What do you think of a Rollins run with the briefcase? Yeah, that, that felt like, yeah, it felt like you were taking a guy who had really not done anything singles wise. I mean, obviously he was over and this was coming off the, yeah, I mean, we could do an entire different, you know, an entire separate show about how dumb it was to break up the shield. But, you know, you've established that he's your new hot young heel. He's playing, you know, the young, the new young cocky heel in, you know, in the authorities stable. Um, you know, he's surrounded by Kane, big show as you know, he's got his giants and he's got Orton in there as well. So it was, yeah, it was really fun. Um, it was cool to see again, a new guy break theoretically break through that glass ce- ceiling. Um, him and Ambrose had a bunch of awesome matches that year. Uh, really fun feud. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> things didn't go as well for Dean, but we'll get to him a little later. Uh, yeah, I, I loved I loved uh, Seth Seth winning here and uh, his cash in at Mania. I mean, he cashed in in the main event match, the match everybody had known was coming for like a year, which was that Brock was going to win the title and then drop its reins. Like everybody knew that was what they were doing. And then all of a sudden, Seth walks out with the title, and it was a really unique moment. And it's, as far as I know, I don't think anyone else has ever done the thing where they, you know, cashed it in during a match. Um, and they really shouldn't do that that often. That should be like a once every five or six years, maybe they should do that. But uh, yeah, it was it was unique, and he was, I mean, he was the champion for the rest of that year. And again, could probably do a whole separate show on how they booked him once he won the title. Um, but yeah, as, as a moment, as a few singular moments, and as far as making a guy and right now, I mean, your top baby faces on raw are Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. And that's, uh, you know, that's probably a testament to, yeah, that guy was a tag team guy or a mid card guy. And he won that briefcase and now he's a main eventer. 2015 Seamus won. And I think everyone thought Roman Reigns was going to win. It, that year, and I even remember some chicanery with the uh, the uh, the betting odds uh, the week of that match. 
Seamus all of a sudden seemed like they kind of just picked Seamus to swerve everybody. And then it led to a very unsatisfying title run and a very unsatisfying t-shirt trying to rip off the Austin 316 deal and just kind of continued to the continued screw up, uh, screwing up. And a very unsatisfying faction called the League of Nations. I totally forgot about that. They had a very satisfying hand gesture, though, and a very satisfying uh, nickname for themselves as the lads. Uh, they but... did have that gif of where Rusev and Barrett won, a, won, won like some random tag match and did a bunch of tumbles in the aisle. <laughs> we'll always have that, and we'll always have this contributing to the continued screwing up of Roman Reigns' uh, coronation. <laughs> Sheamus yeah, in 2015, are... just to screw with us. Yeah, this is dumb. Uh, you remember the time Seth got hurt, and so they did the title tournament, and it came down to Roman and Dean in the finals, and Roman won the title in, like, six minutes. So it's not even like you got, like, this great classic match first. Like, Roman just kind of won the belt, and he's celebrating, and there's confetti, and then Sheamus comes out and wins the title, and there's the shot of of Roman laying in the ring with confetti all around and like a single tear coming out of his eyes, which, uh, yeah, it was, it was bad. It was really bad and really dumb. And it seems to, again, fly directly in the face of what the money in the bank match was established to do. I remember that, that Roman and Dean match. And I remember even thinking at the time, it's like, okay, I understand you're not necessarily wanting to give away like your good Roman and Dean match, but you could still do like a perfectly, um, acceptable 15 minute match here. And it doesn't make Roman look like he's not beating anyone and make Dean look like a total geek and they didn't do it, but yeah. Oh boy. And then in 2016, (laughs) 2016 Dean won and cashed in on the same night. Um, Roman (laughs) had us what was suspended. Uh, oh, yeah. That was a month later, actually, I guess, at the at the, the battleground. He started serving his suspension after the battleground show, I believe. No, he came back from the suspension. At he the came battle. back for the battleground. He battle. announced right. the triple threat, and then he was suspended. And That's right. So the entire build was just Seth versus Dean, and then Roman just walked out at the pay-per-view into his title match. Roman was suspended, so Dean won and cashed in on the same night. Um Man, this <laughs> the death of WWE is going to be a very, very interesting book. <laughs> it it was. I feel, yeah, I feel like, I feel like this time period is going to be heavily covered. It was just it was so weird. I mean, obviously, it turned out that okay, we had to get the title off of Roman because he was getting suspended. But it's like before that, it's like Seth pins Roman clean in a one-on-one match. Seth was the heel, despite the fact that nobody wanted to boo him. They made Seth be a heel which ended up really coming back to bite them last fall when they basically eventually kind of had to half turn Seth because Finn Balor got hurt. Um, and because, but they had already cooled him off so much because they made him be a heel when everybody wanted him to be a face. Um, but anyway, so Seth wins the title clean as a heel and then Dean comes out and wins the title from him. So yes, you did have all three members of the shield were the world champion in one night. Um, and that led to the, yes, the, the shield triple threat where Dean Ambrose did get to pin Roman Reigns as his, as Roman's penance for, uh, for being suspended. Um, but yeah, it was, and it looked like, okay, we're going to go. Dean's going to be, they, they announced the restarting of the brand split right after this. 
Dean gets drafted to SmackDown. It's like, okay, Dean's going to be the top guy. And then they put him with Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> and AJ, AJ Styles, while AJ Styles and John Cena are feuding not over the title. Um, so Dean ended up getting to hold the belt for about two months and then just dropped it to Styles because Styles was coming off beating John Cena clean in the middle of the ring at SummerSlam. And so at that point, you kind of have to put the title on AJ Styles there. Um, so yeah, Dean kind of probably you can file him under like the first year of CM Punk winning or maybe similar to the Dolph where won the title and they never really gave him a shot and then they decided that he failed and uh, and and now he's uh, back back in the mid card now back on Raw but uh, yeah that was that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty weird month or two there. Of, of Roman getting suspended, Seth coming back, Seth turning heel immediately, and then Dean Dean winning the title, and their big feud for him was Dolph Ziggler. Then you obviously have this year's winner, and congratulations to the winner of that match. I can, in fact, guarantee that it was probably a first-time winner, because let's be honest, Dolph, Dolph didn't win. Uh, so for the first time, this person has won the Money in the Bank ladder match, and isn't that exciting? It is indeed, as I speak to you here from this island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Ah, well, I'm going to get back to the beach, and uh, I don't think we need to uh, cover Art of Wrestling. Uh, at some po- Someday, someday soon, there's a song there somewhere, someday, someday soon, uh, we'll have a discussion on this show about kind of the art of professional wrestling and uh, dives and Jim Cornette and people of his ilk and the style current nowadays and Randy Orton and Rip Rogers going at each other on Twitter. And there's a discussion there that I would like to have about the modern art form of professional wrestling. But uh, we are desperately out of time, unfortunately, this week. Uh, You got anything else you want to hit on real quickly or should we get out of here? No, I I mean, you got to get back to those waves, man. Exactly right. So, until next time, I'm Ethan. And I am not at a beach. And my name is Liam. And we'll be back next week, or very soon, with more stories from the wrestling life. Mahalo. say to me when you're uh, done with the show what, what will you do and I'm uh, uh, happy to announce that I'm joining Dawes hey uh, thank you thank you very much <laughs> welcome aboard Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life.
a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. For other podcasts like this, head to obpapparel.com. The Wrestling Life is brought to you by OBP Apparel. For Baltimore's best local sports gear, head to obpapparel.com. Whether it's baseball or football season, we've got you covered with Baltimore's best local sports gear. That's obpapparel.com. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. Be sure to go and subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for The Wrestling Life on the iTunes store. Make sure you leave a review and tell us how we're doing. Also, be sure to follow the guys on Twitter at TWL underscore podcast for live tweets during wrestling events and other hilarity throughout the week. That's at TWL underscore podcast. Now back to the guys. I feel like me saying the F word could be some pretty good bonus material. <laughs> if I had a set of balls, me just saying the F word would be the bonus material. But unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't. I don't want to have to click that explicit box on the on the publishing page. Yeah, I'm sure that's a pain in the in the gaguski. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's a way to do it from SoundCloud, but I, I've never really looked into it. I know there's literally just a button on the old site you would press if you if it if it contained uh, explicit material or not yeah i don't want you don't want that on our heads <laughs> it's a good family show just <laughs> to know that we're a family guys <laughs> family guys that's right jimmy good fallon family man jimmy jimmy fallon new bad boy of late night <laughs> <laughs> good lord i changed too i have a beard now <laughs> Stupid. <sighs> All right. Poor guy. Just let him do it. Like I know I've crapped on it, and I don't like his style. But like it is his thing. Like have like play Pictionary. Like that's what people want. His audience wants that. They don't want him to be like Col- I guess the network wants him to be. But like, dude, like nobody, like nobody wants Jimmy Fallon to be that guy. Like, you want to watch him like lip sync popular songs. Like nobody's nobody's turn on Fallon to see what Fallon had to say about the Comey testimony or something. So I just don't get like, I mean, it's almost like all of these rich old white men might be a a little bit out of touch with, uh, with society, but (laughs) nice. (sighs) Adam Crowley used to end every episode of Loveline with Mahalo. So until next time, it's Adam Carolla for Dr. Drew saying mahalo. Have you watched any of Adam Carolla's new show where he like builds desks with people? No, I'm familiar with the concept, but it seems very strange to me, but uh Yeah, I don't get it. And like I never like I never sat down and like listened or watched enough of his comedy to know if I like him or not. Mm-hmm. But uh it's just like yeah he's like we build a home improvement project like it's a talk show but my guests and i just build like a birdhouse together all right
that's it's a very weird concept i mean it's very uh i mean hey he's trying something different i mean i guess give him credit for that yeah and well spike wants to be in business with him i guess because they keep giving him tv shows so <laughs> i try to keep on keeping on 